Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public, and we feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law. I'm your host, Jordan Rich. Joining us today is a member of the Bar Association, attorney Matthew Barrick. He's a family law practitioner with many years of successful practice. And our topic today is family law appeals. What happens when a lawyer does not get a favorable decision in a divorce or custody case? What about the appeals process in family law? Matt is also the author of a new book called The Family Law Guide to Appellate Practice. Matt, I'll start with a basic question. What are we talking about when we're discussing appeals, the appellate process in family law? Is it that much different than an appeal in, say, criminal or civil cases? Uh, I think it is. You, you know, one of the things I wrote in my book is that family law matters are intimate and personal, and they touch upon people's most private treasures and possessions. And I think that that perspective directly affects all aspects of domestic relations, and that bleeds over to appellate practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just certain dilemmas that exist in the practice of family law that do not exist in other areas of the practice of, of civil or criminal law. You know, for example, we we're talking about children, where a child's going to live, where they're going to reside, where they're going to go to school. And that's probably the most intimate, the most personal decision a person can can ever make. And that brings a whole swell of emotions and feelings and, and perspectives on a legal matter that you just don't get when you're talking about uh, you know, close uh, failure to close on a real estate transaction mm, or something like right. that. No, you're talking about human beings at, at the core level. Uh, what matters most in, in an adult's life is their children. So many issues at stake. How frequent is is the appeal used in family law? I know it's a general question, but is it no, something that is question. used regularly? It's an excellent question. The purpose of the book, if it has a theme, is to never appeal a family law matter uh, because there's some power to to closure. And the problem that we face in, in family law is that it is so intimate and so personal that it extends to the discretion, the broad discretion that's granted by appellate courts to a single judge making a decision. And because of that, I think that makes it even more difficult to appeal a matter. So actually, I think that there are times certainly when uh, an appeal is necessary and warranted, but in a lot of ways uh, going through the process is to try to screen out when it does make sense to actually seek further legal redress of a domestic relations case. Mm. And that's not in every situation. Could you give us an example, obviously not a real case or names first and last, but when an appeal is not a good idea, when perhaps the client thought it should be, something like that? I think the biggest thing is that sometimes there's a misconception of what an appeal really is for a client. Sometimes, particularly in a family law case, clients are at the end of a case are angry, they're upset, you know, their wife got the house or, you know, the dad got the kids more than they thought they should have. And, you know, so they're angry and they they believe that an appeal may be another opportunity for another judge uh, to hear the facts and circumstances of the case, but that's certainly not not generally the issue. The issue is a legal issue. You know, was there a legal mistake that was made? Was there a misapplication of a legal precedent? Is there a novel issue? I see. Not 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 necessarily 
to have an opportunity for a group of judges to weigh in on, you know, who should get the uh, silverware. Which makes sense. Try to avoid an appeal by getting it right through the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is that you have to create the proper record. You have to raise all of your issues, all of your salient facts to try to get it right the first time. You never go into a case with a judge saying, okay, I'm going to appeal that later on. Unless there's some kind of novel issue where the court's never weighed in on and you're trying to make that case for court in the future. But that, mm. that those cases are few and far between. Yeah, if you telegraph that, wouldn't bode well for you in no, court. Judges, no. I believe, wouldn't uh, appreciate that. No, you got to get it right the first time. Got to get it right the get first right time. The first time with your judge and make, and make your best case and put on your best presentation of evidence and make your timely objections. And that's, that's part of ensuring that you have a record that it can be utilized for an appeal if an appeal is warranted and necessary. Would a responsibility fall on the, the attorney to convince his or her client or clients that an appeal is not a good idea? And is that a difficult challenge sometimes for people in your field? It, it absolutely is. I mean, I think the, the first challenge is to probably talk your client into not appealing. And the first way to, to go through that is there's a lot of various methodologies, alternative remedies that you can go through with clients to determine whether an appeal is sort of the necessary step. I mean, you, you want to, there are other ways to certainly correct records. You can file post-trial motions and family law, which makes it unique is particularly in, in circumstances related to money uh, in terms of alimony or child support or uh, child custody cases. You, we always have the ability uh, to seek a modification. A modification action is when there's a material change in circumstance in the future. So if things change for kids as kids grow and develop and there's a different you know, preference or something that's gone on, mm. you can seek legal redress in the future by filing a modification. In a single judge system where it might be the same judge that you may face three, five years from now, sometimes you get to pick and choose your battles. And sometimes the appellate process isn't necessarily the way to go. There might be another remedy that's more available to you. Let's stay with this for a second. The modification process, it sounds like another way to appeal a decision or to amend a decision. It's not an appeal, though. It's not an appeal. And I, and I would I would not ever look at it as sort of the different avenue in, in terms of appealing something. It's not a redress. It's if something changes in the future. So the conversation sometimes with the clients is, is look, this time it didn't go your way. But when there's issues related to support, for example, job change or custody, for example, a, a child getting older and changing his preference or her preferences mm -hmm. to who she wants to live with, those are types of things that potentially are material changes of circumstance. And sometimes you have to leave the judgment where it is and then in the future seek to show that something has changed since that judgment's issued and the modification process is very different. We don't – I think in family law, it's probably the only time you have an opportunity to change a judgment in the future mm -hmm. based on change of facts and circumstances that occur since that last judgment. And sometimes that might be a better road to go down in the future, not knowing that at the time, but thinking about it in to rather than seek an appeal. So if you're an, a, an attorney, you're looking at the long game, not just the outcome today, but what we might face in three years when the kids get older and, and so on. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, and that's what, you know, that's the whole thing about family laws. It, it's so intimate, so personal. People, people are human and human beings change. Mm -hmm. Circumstances change. People move. They move out of town with the kids. They move out of state with the kids. Uh, children, grow and develop differently and, and have different relationships that may lead to future changes. And so I think any 
good practitioner of family law worth his salt or her salt has to think about the whole, not just that moment in time because things can't change. What other options would, say, an attorney have for his client beyond appeal? Are there things that can be discussed? Well, well certainly. There, there, absolutely. There, there's post-trial remedies. Uh, for example, if, say, uh, mom got or dad got the Corvette and mom got the uh, Porsche and it was supposed to be vice versa. You know, that's something that's a simple error of the judge made, a clerical error you both agree can be fixed. There's no need to appeal it. Uh, things like that can be changed. Uh, if there's new evidence that's discovered after the trial, sometimes the, you know, the probate court is, is busy and it's tough and they, their time is limited and it can take six months plus uh, to receive a judgment. And sometimes things come up after the trial that may resolve an issue or may change an issue that allow you after the judgment is issued to file post-trial remedy to correct a judgment, to fix a judgment, to mm-hmm. alter a judgment, maybe a motion for a new trial. And I think post-trial remedies always need to be looked at as a potential option. The other option that makes Massachusetts unique is we have an equitable, where the probate court's an equ- what we call an equ- court of equity, a court of fairness. And so we have under our 20834, the uh, divorce statute, the ability to always go back in. For example, if there's an asset that wasn't undisclosed, the, the classic example of that. Uh, is sort of the case is over, it's a year or so later, even two years later, and all of a sudden uh, the wife receives a statement, a fidelity, a statement with a million bucks sent to her house in her husband's name. And she looks like, I never got this money. Well, I I never saw this statement before. Mm. And we have a remedy for that. You wouldn't open up an appeal, but you would go back in on what's called an equity complaint uh, under that statute for an undisclosed asset and seek relief from the court. So we have, there are different options that, are available to attorneys and to uh, litigants mm. short of filing the appeal. And Let, I think you have to go through those steps before you get to filing an appeal. Okay. And I just have one follow-up on that. Is there a statute of limitations as to when you can file an appeal? Let's say something comes down the pike a year, year and a half, two years later after the case has been quote unquote settled. How much time do you have? You have 30 days. Initially, you have 30 days by, by right. And then you have a permissive right by way of the judge for an additional 30 days. And that time's measured from the date the judgment is actually entered in the docket. And then if it goes beyond those 60 days, you can seek redress with the uh, single justice of the appeals court to give you additional time to file the notice. But that's very discretionary. And usually at a certain period of time, you know, you're, you're out of luck, particularly in family law matters. Just to set the example and provide some basis of comparison, have you had a, a recent memory, a case that you decided to appeal? And if so, what were the circumstances? Uh, very, there's various things. Uh, sometimes what often happens in, in the probate court is when one party uh, is working less than the other party thinks they should. That's a very discretionary issue that requires mm. a lot of findings of fact that sometimes uh, judges don't uh, partake in perfectly. That That's sort of a, an example. You know, one of the big ones um, th- that I was involved in was the, the Miller case, which went up the SJC, which was on the issue of uh, removing a child out of state. So th- those cases are always uh, very difficult and emotional and, and you know, a lot of passion on both sides. And, and those are always hotly litigated. And that standard has been evolving a little bit in, in part because of the case that I had in Miller v. Miller. 
but also because it's such a it's always when one party wants to relocate a child out of state, it is always brings up mm. a tremendous amount of emotions on, on both sides. And it tends to be hotly contested and hotly litigated. And, and a lot of times we'll go through the whole process. Before we wrap up, uh, you've been doing this for quite a number of years successfully. What are the qualities that you believe make for a good experience for you and also for the clients? What What are we looking for in the up-and-coming attorneys who want to get into family law? What qualities? I think uh, I would say two things that jump to mind. One, One's compassion and the other's passion. Uh, mm. it, it takes you know, a lot of people, we always joke that we're half psychologist, half advocate. And that's true because uh, I think as a former judge told me recently, you know, half of what we're doing is psychology. We're, we're getting through people. We're seeing them in their darkest times and we're trying to help them get to the light, so to speak. And I mm-hmm. think some of that is is that a lot of that's obviously advocacy and advocating for your client and providing the best service you can and attempting to get them the best result. But, you know, there's two to tangle. You know, there's also another side of that. And when you're uh, dividing up a marriage, it's a partnership. And when partnerships are end, end, as things do, there's often hard feelings on both sides. And I think it's your job to sort of navigate that for the client and seek the best result, but at the same time getting through that process. From the outside looking in, it's a challenge because you're dealing with, first of all, two sides that are at odds going in and uh, you've got to negotiate and, and find the best point that makes sense, which can be really challenging. It, it, it is challenging. And, you know, when people – we see people at their worst. See people at their worst. See the worst. Yeah. And, you know, and you want to help them move on and at the same time ensuring that you're doing no harm to them. Well, you've given us a lot of uh, basic information about the appellate process, and the goal should be to try to avoid uh, the appeal, if possible, by doing all the things right in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And then taking – after getting receiving a judgment mm-hmm. that you may not like, going through the steps to see if there are other alternatives. Matt, thank you so much for your time and, more importantly, for your understanding of these uh, intricate laws and uh, the process. We really appreciate you setting us straight. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate you having me on. You've been listening to the Mass Bar B podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal assistance, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. You can call them at 866-627-7577. Once again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich, thanking you for listening.